Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I got to tell you, I am thankful for fire drills because I was, I was late today. So I was breathing a sigh of relief as I pulled in and I saw the crowd and the fire trucks there. So like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You've heard of the church here. Joan just referred to it. I don't know about you. I, it wasn't always something that I lived out. Um, I do now. I follow it very closely now. Before, I lived uh, the church, uh, a calendar year that was marked by the pantheon of pagan gods. You probably do too. <laughs> like the gods like Thor, that's why we get Thursday, or Saturn, Saturday, or the gods like Janus for January, and Maya for May, and Augustus for August. Um, but who wants to live their life marked by a pantheon of pagan gods, right? Or we have our other high holidays in our culture these days. We have the hallmark feasts of Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. Or we have the high consumer holidays of like Black Friday coming up soon. But the church has said, you know what? There's a better way for us to mark our days. There's a better way for us to mark time. How about we mark it with the story of Jesus? And so it set out throughout the whole calendar year, different feasts, different celebrations. And so next week starts off Advent. But as Joan said, at the very end of all this celebration and all this remembering of the story of Jesus is this Sunday called Christ the King, which was last Sunday. And it's to that that I want to focus our attention, not so much on the Sunday, but on the reality of Christ the King. It's like this beautiful exclamation point at the end of all this celebration, at the end of all this remembering, it tells us this Jesus who we have remembered, who we've watched and walked along, he is the King. And so as we begin, I want to read a psalm that uh, connects with that, Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains, throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Christ the king. That image of king, it's, uh, it's not, I mean, it might be familiar to us, but it can seem very distant. However, it is central to the Christian faith, not only because of what it describes of Jesus Christ, but because of what it describes of us, of who we are. Here's the truth about a king and us. We were meant to be ruled. We were meant to be ruled. We find freedom in obedience to another. 
This is part of how we are wired up. But in our day and age, that is almost offensive, isn't it? I bet some of us might even mm, chafe, react to that. We are so shaped by this democratic, egalitarian ethos that we react to that, ruled by another? Are you kidding me? And so mostly our, our, our culture rejects authority and rejects the idea that we should submit to someone else, obey someone else, and we struggle to find, to live out a joyful obedience. And so like the nations, we can conspire and we can plot and we can find creative ways to throw off the yoke of service to our king. But even though we, we try to reject the idea of someone ruling over us, we still need a king. Again, because we're meant to be ruled. We still need a king. We're so made to be ruled that if we reject God as king, we look for other rulers in our life. And so we find substitutes, saviors, substitute kings. Our celebrity culture, I think, is one of the biggest replacements for those rulers. We don't have a ruler in place, and so we find a celebrity that we can look up to, that we can hopefully instill our hopes and our dreams in that aspirations in that person. It could be a celebrity, of an artist, a financial person, a politician, a champion for justice, but each pretender to the throne of our lives ends up disappointing us or they end up enslaving us with some impossible demands to somehow be like them. They always end up disappointing because they never deliver the freight of the hope, the promise that we long for. Which brings us to this psalm, Psalm 2. Psalm 1 and 2, they sort of form an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the prayer book of, of the church, and it, it is the way we respond to God. But Psalm 1 and 2, they're not actually prayers. They're not actually addressed to God. They're sort of an introduction. And this Psalm 2 helps us engage with who it is that we're dealing with when we're dealing with God. It's, it's a coronation psalm. Um, as you read it, you, as you heard it, you probably got the sense that it's, it's read at an occasion when someone is ascending to the throne of Israel. Probably someone in David, King David's line, either King David or someone who came after him. It was certainly used in situations like that where someone was installed as a king. But in the context of the book of Psalms again, Psalm 2 reminds us of who we're dealing with. It reminds us, it fires our imagination when we think of God, when we interact with God, gets us to think it is not just anyone we're dealing with. This is the king we're dealing with. In this royal psalm, God is saying, here's all these other kings of the earth who plot against me, who try to contrive different ways to take the throne, but there is a king above all kings. There is my king, the true king, my anointed one that I have installed, my Messiah, is in the translation for it, my chosen one. And with the chosen one on the throne, the nation of Israel could rest easy, right? They could say, all is well. The king is on the throne. It's amazing. Few things comfort people like a righteous ruler in the seat of power. Aren't you glad you got a good leader like Gary here? Who's ruling and guiding this place. Isn't that why the people of Toronto are breathing a sigh of relief? Because we have a new mayor-elect? It's like, oh, there is a good ruler, at least the best of the lot, I guess, from what most would determine, who's in the seat of power. At least he's better than the one we had before. 
We long for that. One of the interesting things, if you study the literature of human history, um, is how so many of our legends and myths focus in on that theme of the rightful king taking his place and ruling all things. The legends, and, and the, it's a common theme throughout. The legends go something like this. There was once a great king who ruled over with wisdom and power and justice and compassion all wrapped up into one rule. And when the king was there, life flourished. Everything blossomed. Civilization came alive. But something has taken that king away. And now everything has gone south. Everything's deteriorated. Everything has fallen into decay. But we, we are looking forward that, to the day when the king will come again. I mean, you know how many legends are all about that? Think of uh, something simple as Robin Hood. Here's Robin Hood fighting in the name of the good king, fighting any opposition because darkness has descended on the land and he's just trying to keep some flame alive that the good king is going to come back. Or the legend of King Arthur, great King Arthur. When he reigned, there was this place called Camelot, which is a little picture of heaven, where life worked, where everything was good, where life flourished. There was a great king, but he's gone. And people are left wondering, when will he come back? Or think of the modern legend, my favorite legend, the Lord of the Rings. Tolkien's great trilogy. And a core theme throughout the Lord of the Rings is darkness has descended on Middle-earth, but there is a king. He's in the north, and he's going to show up. And when he does, everything will blossom. And, of course, the last title of the trilogy is The Return of the King. And if you saw the movie, you might remember the scene when the king is rightfully installed, the Aragorn comes to power, and there's the, the budding and the, of the tree that sits there. And life is good. There's hope. Why is that? Why do we have all these stories and legends? Why do we, in the absence of a king, put others? Why do we crown celebrities as uh, the new royalty? Because we are meant to be ruled. We're meant to submit ourselves to the reign of a good and lovely king. And the good news is that all the myths and all the legends and all those impulses of our heart are true. They're true. Because there is a king, and he has entered history, and his name is Jesus. He is the Son of God, and when we center our lives on him, there is flourishing and blossoming and harmony in his life, in our life, because he is the center. He is the source. This is what Psalm 2 is reminding us. There is a center to all these things, to all life. It is the king. It is the God's anointed, the Messiah, Jesus. Do you know this king? He's unlike any other king or ruler this world has seen. Out of his generous heart, this king overflowing with love, has created a hospitable space for you and I to flourish, to live. He's created this world, and he creates a world that is custom-made for life. He creates a home where all the conditions of this world of life um, are ways for us to taste and participate in the life of the king, the life he has known from eternity. He gives this all as a gift. And the king isn't about hoarding his authority. In fact, he shares his power. And so he takes us and he 
places us as vice regents, as, as people who share his image and were called to rule and reign and on his behalf. This king, so completely good, so generous, made you and I to be rulers over all things with him. That's not pious hyperbole, okay? That's the Christian story. This is what we believe about reality. Do you know that king? Do you know that story? And when the creation rebels, as the story goes, against all this beautiful, loving hospitality, when the creatures vandalize the beautiful home that this king has given to them, you'd expect the king to sort of marshal all his forces, to exert his will, to launch some campaign of shock and awe and pummel the rebels into submission. We'd expect that because that's what we've seen throughout history. That's what rulers do. That's what kings, what people with power do, but not this king. This king is like no other. This king comes to mend and to heal and to restore because he loves this world. This is a good world and he wants to see this earth healed and everything made new. And so he comes with a broken heart and with promises to make everything new. And then after repeated attempts to mend and reconcile, when all the efforts to restore things are, are, are just been frustrated, met with more rebellion, you'd think the king finally, at the end of his rope, would impose his will. You'd expect, you'd expect the page out of the Hunger Games, right? You remember what happens in the capital of Pan Am where... They exact this annual tribute where they keep all the districts in poverty and forced submission. That's what we'd expect. But not in this king. Jesus does the unexpected. Instead of using his power to squash all the rebels, he, he gives up power. Or he better said he uses that power to serve others. He gives up his prestige and his status and he takes the nature of a servant. We expect rulers to, to place burdens on people, to place demands on people, not to take them. But this is what Jesus the king does. What a beautiful king. Because when you fail other kings and other leaders, they will make you pay, but not this king. When we fail him, he pays. He takes the penalty. He dies so that we might live. Do you serve that king? And this king, resurrected from the dead, having defeated all posers to the throne now, now bringing his kingdom to every part of this earth so that you and I get our lives back in Jesus, in service to this king. Jesus is ruling right now. And again, not pious hyperbole. This is reality. He's ruling right now. He's not waiting for some end time to come, you know, just sort of twiddling his thumbs in heaven. He's reigning. He's ruling right now. He invites you and I to be part of that reign. In all our different ways, we're called to participate in this amazing kingdom and nothing will stop the advance of that kingdom. That's what this exclamation point of Christ the King Sunday, that's what Psalm 2 is telling us. Nothing will stop the advance of this kingdom. And you are children of the King. You are image bearers of this King. At one level, Psalm 2 is about the Israelite kings. And at another level, it's about Jesus, who is the Messiah, the King. But at yet another level, it's about you how God installs us, how we share that anointing with Christ to reign and rule. You are children of the King. You are imprinted 
with that sort of royalty. And together, we are this beautiful preview of what that kingdom looks like. You are children of the king, called to be like the king, called to do things that Jesus has done. That's the astonishing thing. You will be healers and restorers. There's a beautiful line in the Lord of the Rings where it says this. One of the lines says, The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. And so shall the children of the king be known. Jesus said it this way, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. This is us. This is our call. You will be known by healing, by restoring. You will see new creation. You will see reconciliation. You will see life because Christ is the king and he calls us to participate with him in this magnificent reign of his. So the call today as we begin a whole new year following Jesus is for us to bow the knee, to kiss the son, to find freedom in his rule. And as the psalm ends, let me end here. Blessed are all who take refuge in the true king. Let me pray with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are king. Would you imprint and scribe on our hearts that reality in fresh new ways? It's too easy for us to, to make you something small, to reduce you to something less. But Jesus, you are our king. Today, we recognize and honor you and obey you. May we find joy and freedom in following you. Amen.